right, so I, I, I should say yell out amen even louder to you because I've also been a recipient of uh, losing uh, finances and for different things. But it can turn certainly our lives upside down and it could stop us dead in our tracks. We don't know where to turn and where or how can we go on. We sometimes feel that way. I remember at one particular time in the very beginning of my marriage, the, uh, I was working uh, several jobs, my wife was working several jobs, and then there was one a check that I had cashed and lost it all. Not, not that I didn't gamble it away, I just, I just lost it, I misplaced it, I couldn't find it, I looked everywhere and could not find it. And sometimes if you're like me, you'd be like, what now? What can, what can we do? And luckily I had a, my dad was, uh, uh, helped me out there to be able to pay, you know, with that money that was lost to help pay the rent and continue on. I paid him back. Yes, dad, don't tell me that I didn't pay you back. I just want to let you know. I did. I did. <laughs> but uh, what, what happens in our lives? I feel like, well, how can we go on? So how do we do it? Where, where do we begin? As with illness and and failure and the storms of the previous weeks that we've been talking about in this series, our hope, when we're dealing with financial loss, can also be found in God. In uh, Psalm chapter uh, 121, verse 2, the Bible says, "The help, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. When we put our faith in the Lord, we accept that we cannot move forward without his help. We place our confidence in someone greater than ourselves. In Psalm 37, beginning on verse 3, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Trusting in the Lord means looking at our situation from his perspective. Psalm 37 tells us not only to trust, but also to do good. We trust with our minds, but we can do good with what we say with our hands and feet. Continuing on with that verse 34 and 5, excuse me, it says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything. Can you say everything? Everything. Commit everything you do to the Lord and trust him and he will help you. Now, that's, that being said, this does not mean that if we take delight in the Lord, that he will give us everything and, and what we want. Our relationship with Jesus is not transactional. When we develop a close, meaningful relationship with him, his desires becomes our desires. His joy becomes our joy. The Gospel book of John, chapter 15, verse 11, that says, I have, this is Jesus saying, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. As that Psalm 37 says, it says, take delight in the Lord, uh, involves a total commitment. There is no joy in a part-time relationship. There is no joy in a one-way relationship. There is no joy in a friendship of convenience. We need to take our burdens to him. When we're dealing with financial loss, We need to share our hurts and concerns with him. We need to spend time in his word. 
In Christ and his word, we find comfort and reassurance. We also find a friend who is eager to pick up our burdens. And we see that in the gospel book of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and and the burden I give you is light. Trust in the Lord and do good, as that Psalm 37 says. These are words to keep in mind and live by whenever we're dealing with loss any type of loss. The hard part comes when we are not content with what we have, especially when we fall into the temptation of comparing of what we have with what other people have. You probably heard me say that it was years ago, I believe it was a Geico commercial, that there was, you know, the gentleman had a, a beautiful SUV, a, a big vehicle, a beautiful home. And then the question is, how do you do it? And they find him in by the pool, and he's cleaning the pool, and he's saying, I am dead to my eyeballs. <laughs> I always loved that commercial. And it centered me making sure that I reevaluate my life and not asking or seeking what somebody else is doing because when we're saying, wow, they got this and they got that and I don't have all of this, but they don't realize that sometimes people are living beyond their means. And so I don't know about you, I would rather not be with the stress of having to pay for all those debts just so that way I can enjoy life because at one point or another, it will be coming tumbling down. And we hear stories of the famous stock market crashes of 19, for example, 1929's Great Depression or the Black Monday of 1987. The 2001, the dot-com bubble burst and the 2008 financial crisis and during COVID-19 pandemic. You may not remember what took place in 1929, but you certainly remember what we've been going through the past year and a half. COVID financially impacted our families. It impacted financial loss. People were losing jobs or they, didn't, they had to change the way they were doing things. The mentality of what they were doing before no longer fit. And so they, if, if they didn't change, if they didn't, didn't move forward, they found themselves stuck. Now, if you're like me, I realized that as much as I didn't like going through the pandemic, there were some things, some blessings in disguise. I can look back and see the changes that even my family did. My family no longer were able to go and eat out, but man, when we were able to see each other at the table and talk to each other, put the, no, no, no phones, you know, no phones, put them on the side, talk to each other. A great home-cooked meal. There was no unnecessary spending anymore. There was no more traveling. We spent more time together. We were not able to depend on the things that we did pre-COVID. How was your financial situation during all of this? Did it change? Was there loss? What have you done since? 
Did you sit down and do nothing, or did you realize that you had to make changes to trust God and to move on? There was once a uh, very wealthy woodworker named uh, Henry Warner. He accumulated tons of perishable stuff, but the economic panic of 1837 set off a chain of events that ended in him, in him losing his New York City mansion and its luxurious possessions. He and his daughters were from the, went from the heights of Manhattan society to the depths. And Henry was never the same. His daughters, Anna and Susan, were devout Christians, left the city and began writing books with a positive moral message. And they went and they lived near the U.S. Military Academy. To support themselves, they began writing books, as I mentioned, from the positive moral messages, and they began teaching Sunday Bible study to, for, for the West Point cadets. These classes continued for 50 years. Keeping in mind, they lost everything. And they made a change. For 50 years, they taught Sunday Bible studies for those cadets. One day, when Susan was writing a novel, she asked Anna to come up with a simple poem that one of her characters could recite to a sick child in her story. A couple years later, a musician read Anna's poem and thought with a chorus and additional stanzas it would make a good song. The cadets liked it and eventually it became pretty popular. Anna's poem begins with, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Remember that song? If you, if you remember, how about if you join me just a chorus that says, Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Amen. Thank you. You know that the cemetery at the U.S. Military Academy is filled with many famous military heroes, but only two uh, civilians? Can you guess who they were? Anna and Susan Warner. You know, when I was younger, there were days that I remember waking up so early in the morning. It wasn't to work, but I was a young man at the time, young little guy but it was to stand in line at a food pantry. And in order to get there, making sure that we got, we got something, we would pray that there was enough food by the time that we got through the door and hoping that there was enough food at that food pantry to feed our family until the next time we had to get back in line. Man, the days that I remember we used to cry ourselves to sleep because we were hungry. And I hope that if you've never experienced that, I don't wish that on anybody. But if you've gone through with hunger, with crying because you don't have enough, let me be a testimony to you that there's still hope. 
It reminds me of Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, when Paul is saying, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot know what will follow the devastating financial loss. But we must move on. Trust in the Lord and do good. The Christian writer Philip Yancey points out that there are two of the most important days of our calendar are Good Friday and Easter. But we give almost no attention to the Saturday in between. Think what, you know, what that Saturday must have been like for Jesus' disciples of that day. They were heartbroken and they were scared to death. It must have seemed like everything they believed them had crashed down around them. They had no clue what the next day would bring. But we know. We know that however bleak and hopeless our Saturday may be, Easter comes. Because it did, we can delight in the Lord and find joy in his joy and hope, always hope for a better tomorrow. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, it says, you love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with the glorious inexpressible joy. The reward of trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. You see, the, financial, the, the pain of financial loss is greater when we place too much importance on things that are perishable and too little importance on things that are imperishable. I'm going to go to the word of God here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning on verse 6. I'm going to be uh, 6 through 10. And then I'll continue on. It says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. When we're dealing with financial laws, we got to keep in mind that we must move on. It is not saying that we can't utilize money because we know we need money to do what we do. But it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Trust in the Lord and do good. Demonstrate your trust in God by being content with what you have. So one point I want to share with you is don't crave more than you need. We must re-examine ourselves. 
On verse 11, continue on, it says, But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. You see, the world is filled with wealthy, miserable people who have everything but contentment. The money, as the book was saying, the money is an empty gun that can never fill the vacuum in their souls with peace. I'm going to jump down to verse 17. It says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. And we know that because most of you who had said amen to my question earlier, if you've dealt with financial law, sometimes that money, it's unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as good a foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. See, trust in God will not make the pain go away. It means we know that he will provide what we truly need. In Christ, our hope stands tall, it's solid and untouchable. In him, we have a home that outshines the sun, an inheritance that can never perish, and treasures that can never be taken from us. The deed of our heavenly home is signed and healed and sealed by the blood of Christ. The contract is ratified by the resurrection, and no one will ever foreclose on that. I love that word. As a United Methodist, the founder of the Methodism movement is uh, John, uh, John Wesley. He lived in a time of financial destruction, and he took those words of Jesus very seriously. The Industrial Revolution was causing a massive move to the cities. Farms were lost, small towns, economies collapsed, and epidemics of crime and disease plagued the cities. Does that sound familiar? When Wesley saw the crowds of hurting people, he went about and he started doing ministries and throughout his ministries became successful. And he became successful financially that uh, if you look at his pay rate, you know, compared to the modern equivalent of today, it was about $160,000. But you know what he did? He actually just used a small sum that he only needed and gave everything else away. The book says that Wesley said, if I leave behind 10 pounds, you and all mankind can bear witness against me that I have lived and died a thief and a robber. Now, by no means was John Wesley against the idea of wealth. His problem was with storing up treasures on earth when wealth could be such a marvelous tool for ministry. He once preached a sermon in which he proposed the best attitude we can have toward wealth is to gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. When we do the things that honor the Lord, we invest in eternity. Investing in the things of God? Let me take a moment to say this. Ladies and gentlemen, if you 
would have stored your money and waited during this um, pandemic and waited to make sure things were going to work out okay and didn't give to the church, we would not be here. Because of your generosity and your faithful giving, we kept the church going, and I personally feel like we are on a rebound. So thank you for trusting God to provide. Let me close out this sermon with this. To be human means that loss, including heartbreaking loss, is always possible. If you're like me, as I share, who have experienced financial loss, I can tell you it was hard. But I can also tell you that there is hope and in the hope, there is rebound. How long that rebound will take will depend on several factors, but nonetheless, hope is still there. Sometimes those losses are due to our stupidity and unwise decisions. If you're gambling and betting on your finances, chances are that if you haven't already experienced it, the money you lost will never return. We need to understand that faith in God does not immunize us from financial failure. As long as we live in this fallen world, there will be no such thing as complete financial security. There is no ultimate security in anything but the grace of God. Today, to close out today's sermon, and the service today, we're gonna to be singing a song that's titled, All Our Hope. And I have Randy here that is joining me along with uh, Dale McCauley on the keys. And I pray you enjoy this song and whatever you're doing, whether it really dealing with loss financially, dealing with loss of a loved one, dealing with whatever type of loss, and anything that we do, ladies and gentlemen, that our hope can be in Jesus Christ. I've been healed by the Savior. I feel fire from above. I've been down to the river. I ain't the same, a prodigal return. Oh, my hope is in. Thank God that yesterday is gone. Oh, my sins are forgiven. I've been washed by the blood. Cause I'm no stranger to the prison. Shackles and dreams. I've been freed and forgiven. Yes, I have. I'm not going back. I'll never be the same. That's why I'm singing. Oh, my hope is in Jesus. Thank God that yesterday's gone. Oh, my sins are 
of financial loss the past couple weeks we talked about the hope in the midst of failure in the midst of storms at this time I'm gonna invite you to please stand and whatever you've been going through and I pray that the message of today and this song right here is to put our hearts and our minds into God and to say God here I am our hope is in you so together just belt it out wherever you are trust to believe it that all our hope is in you. And so we're gonna be doing the chorus just twice, all together. As you head out today, may the Spirit continue to guide you out in your communities, in your homes, in your jobs, wherever you need to be, knowing that all our hope is in Jesus. If you're in need of prayer before you head out today, our lay pastors, Stephen Ministers, will be up front to pray with you and for you. And as you head out, may God's peace, love, and guidance of the precious Holy Spirit.